Welcome back to the 123 Show with me, Noreen Mayer, this Friday afternoon. I'd like to welcome back to the studio our wonderful co-host for the Agenda Cafe, Karen Ko. Karen, how are you doing? I'm great, Noreen. It's Friday as usual, so I'm always great when I come in here. I know, it's so <laughs> nice. And we do have a very special guest today, and uh, she's on Facebook Live, actually, for our listeners on the Facebook Live. So... What are we talking yeah. about today, Karen? Yeah, this, we're really thrilled to have our guest with us today. So, so basically today we're talking about sex and sexuality when you live with a physical disability. So when you think about it, most of the portrayals we see of sex and sexuality around us, whether it's in movies, advertising, are of able-bodied people. But, you know, what is it like, what is sex like for those who may not have the full use of their bodies? We just don't really hear about that at all. Um, and what are the assumptions we make about, about them and how that affects their intimate relationships? And I, and we, you know, kind of want to ask and answer the question, are they being left out of the conversation around sexuality? So our guest today is, um, a great, um, advocate for, for disability, people with disabilities, trying to empower them to lead a, an independent life and and, and be in touch with their sexuality. So we're really thrilled to join to be joined by Carmen Yao. Carmen is also a registered social worker. She is also a TEDx speaker. She gave an amazing TEDx talk at TEDx Tinhao Women um, two years ago. So Carmen, welcome to the program. Hi, welcome. Thank you for having me here. Welcome, Carmen. And I have to echo this. If you haven't seen Carmen's uh, TEDx talk, do go to YouTube and watch it. It's so good. It is really, really good. And I was there, actually, when you gave the talk. I, so I was sitting in the audience, and it was stunning because I think people just really didn't expect it. And, it was um, so funny as well. It was really funny, and, <laughs> and, and, and you told great stories. So let, let's get into your story then. So okay. first of all, tell us about your specific disability and, and what it's meant for you. Well, um, I'm born with spinal muscular atrophy, and actually this is a genetic disease that uh, uh, once you're born, you have SMA, and um, it's a progressive disease that will um, your muscles degenerate from time to time from your age. So uh, when I was a teenager, so I was still able to stand up or even make a few steps. But now I'm already reaching to 30s and um, basically I have to rely on a power chair and uh, I have to use a ventilator during sleep. Yeah, so actually my health condition is, is um, degenerating from time to time, but basically my mental health and everything are really doing very well. Right, so it's just your body that is, is slowly... Sleeping. Slowly say, going to sleep. <laughs> yeah, I would say it's uh, slowly going to sleep, but at the same time, I think it makes you to slow down your daily life, but at the same time, you can come up with better ideas and agenda of what you really want to do. You know, mm, it forces you to be more creative, right? Well, I think I, because my time is golden and limited, that's why uh, what I do is rather bold, I would say, and um, very adventurous. And um, I think, well, because I don't have much time, of course, I have to make use of it. And then, you know, to be more adventurous and uh, to be, you know, more open up to talk about things that I think is really important for others. So I think that's. That's the spirit. Yeah, it's a, well, that's a great um, attitude to have because it does mean you're going to make the most of, of all the time that you do have. So tell us, like, you, you said that when you were a teenager, you were still able to walk. Yeah. What about your, your um, sexuality? I mean, 
teenagehood is when we discover our sexuality and we like, oh, I like boys or I like girls or I like this or I like that. Yeah. Were you able to express that and were you able to explore in the way that, you know, m the average teenager might? Well, the sad thing is, that's what I usually joke most of the time. I'm reaching into 30s, but now I started to wear short pants and hot pants and put on lipstick because actually, because when I was a teenager, when I'm still living in my parents' home, um, it's quite common for a lot of women with disabilities and girls with disabilities that they don't really wear, they don't grow long hairs, they don't wear a dress, they don't put lipstick, because in a lot of Asian and Chinese family, they would think that the best protection of a girl is don't let people see that she looks like a girl. It's, it's right. such a Chinese like thing. Yeah, don't wear yeah. dresses. Right. Yeah. Wear, yes. Well, my mom usually Just, said that. She said, you know, the, the best way to protect a flower is she doesn't have a sense. They, she doesn't smell like a flower. And she doesn't look pretty like a flower. Then no one will be picking up on her. Mm, so so she's safe. She's trying to protect you from like predators yes. or... Yes, anything, from anything. Mm. So um, so when, that, when I was How teenage... How did that make you feel? Yeah. Well, I just felt like I'm not just being part of the women groups or even in the, the community of women. Basically, my mom just put me on sport sportwears and cut my hair like a boy and then never wears makeup. And then actually the first start of my makeup thing is really starting from when I go to university and I was living in the hall. I was still wearing the jeans and, and sportwear and, you know, the girls around my the, the next room is probably wearing short skirts mm. and jeans. You know, college, of course, they are very hot yes. and pretty. And they don't they wear were, much. <laughs> yeah, they wear whatever that they like. And then I was just like wearing my pajamas and things like that, feeling very uncomfortable. Even, you know, honestly speaking, I must confess, you know, I wear pajamas to class. Oh, did you really? <laughs> <laughs> well, because, you know, I was studying... That's edgy. Right. Yes. Well, because, well, that kind of, you know, grandma's yes. pajama, the whole suit, you know. And then I was just went there for class and then we go back because I was studying in Chinese university. So people know that, you know, it's like a smaller, you know, like from door to door. So you don't really want to change. But, you know, my neighbors, they were wearing very hot jeans and whatever they have. And, and it was a very big contrast. And then... And then somehow I, I made friends with them and then they can't tolerate my my pajamas anymore. <laughs> so they had to, they, they took me to start buying new clothes and then they uh, bring me to salon. At that time, I, I, I never go to salon to like dye my hair or whatever because my mom usually just cut it like, you know, really like, a, like, like a young... A bowl cut. Boil cut yeah. or, or even, or maybe, a, you know, a bob hair or whatever, like a kin kindergarten or whatever. And then it was the first time that, you know, the girls were bringing me to buy dress and even my underwear, my lingerie. Mm. Uh, because my mom usually said, you know, no one is going to look at your bra, so why don't you go and wear my old bra? But, you know, I from basically from I, what I learned is that actually bra do have a life expectancy that is probably three to four months. So you can see that I'm wearing my mother's old underwears and then 
but at that time I don't really feel it much right. because because you don't know the difference. Really? Yeah. Well, you don't know I, I was just thinking, you know, I'm good enough because you have a bra, I have a bra, so we don't have problems. Right. But the girls were telling me that you know you are having big problem here, so and then they dragged me to the underwear showroom and they start to teach me to buy something that is more age-appropriate, you know, things. So things started from there. And then and then at that time, then I started to feel like, oh, I can be a girl. Mm, yeah. and, and then slowly I said, oh, I can put makeup on myself. And then, oh, I can be pretty. But but at that time, of course, I like boys. But at that time, I think I faced a lot of challenges at the same time that uh, I still remember I had people chasing me. Mm-hmm. But they would say, you know, we have to go really deep underground because. You mean boys chasing you? Yeah, but right. they say we have to go really deep underground. No one have to know that we are friends, not even on Facebook. We can't even be Facebook friends. So they liked you, but wanted the relationship to be underground. Yes. W- and, what was and the every reason? Every time when we need to see each other, we probably have to meet like one a.m. in the park wow. ground, on the ground floor. That, that I have to sneak to you know one a.m. I have to go to ground for and then two person sitting you know at the end of the brunch the bench the bench you have to keep a very safe distance like we don't know each other but we were talking to each other why did they not want to be public well i think they have explained to me say oh i really like you so much but i don't know how to present you as my girlfriend people will have a lot of things that they were gossiping and they would have a lot of assumptions. Probably they think I'm making advantage, you know, taking advantage on you or, you know, thinking that you're not socially, you know, mature enough to meet a lot of boys and then I'm taking advantage of you. And, you know, there's so much things that they could, you know, come up with crazy ideas. And, and but to honestly speaking, I, I think if people who heard my TED talk knows that, you know, when I was in, in, in university, actually, when everybody have a part-time job, and I do have one too, I work in the sex call center. So actually, I know a lot of things, but just people just assuming that I'm being very naive most of the time. And I think that is the fun thing that, you know, I know much more than, than they, they did. did yeah. But they just <laughs> assuming that, oh, she's very naive in any sorts of things. Let's okay. talk about that. Yes. Know, the the, the misconception. Oh. <laughs> I wanted to know about the part-time job. How did you get that job? And why did you take that job? Well, uh, you know, everybody getting a part-time job. And, and of course, I think when I, at that time, I was a young adult, I really want to have some job experience or at least get some allowance for myself, you know, because they were taking me to so much places and then I need to, you know, come with an idea that people works, then I should go into work. But I tried very hard to get proper, a proper job but mainstream uh, job yeah right. but I can't really get anything at that time especially at that time I was not using on a power wheelchair I was using on a manual wheelchair so I have to really you know manual right. and then the, the yes. mobility is really very restricted mm. and um and then I, and then one day I was reading in the in the online some of the website, and then and then someone just came across and say, "Oh, do you need a part-time job? That you just need to have a phone." Actually, they will offer you a mobile phone. Oh, really? Yes, they will say if you want to get a job, we will send you the mobile phone, and then we'll pay your bill every, we'll pay your check every month, 
according to how much money that how much hours you have been working and that will give you and i was thinking okay that's something possible for me because i just have have to carry one more phone Mm -hmm. and then if it rings i just have to pick it up so it's not that difficult and then and then are there any set hours for i mean it's it's like a it's i mean do you do you have phone sex on it or is it just really talking are you their girlfriend how how does it work well well i think at that old time, that old time, <laughs> the olden days, the, olden the good days, old days, the when good people, old days. Well, you know, that phone. time and those good old days, people don't really. Well, because it's really different nowadays. Because yeah, nowadays texting. we have a lot of like dating apps and yes. what yeah. kind of hookups app and things like that. But you know, in that gold, golden, golden old era, days that people really, really spend hours and talking on the phone. You know, remember. And at that time, I was doing like 173, you know, 173, 173. And then people were just calling, was just chatting, actually. Uh, uh, what are they chatting about? Are they like talking about their sexual oh, fantasies? How old are or? you? Oh, oh, just getting like, to know you. Yeah, they just got to know you. But, and and it, it, at the same time, you know, the manager teach us, taught us that you have to prolong their calling time because that's the money where you get. So you can't really start up with something really hard. You need to. Oh, you need to build it up. Yeah, you time. have <laughs> to, to take a long time. Yeah, you have to take a long time. If not, you can't get really the earn money. money. <laughs> so you have to really earn, and then you know it's that's the reason. And and if someone that you know, sometimes men and women are people who are really lonely that they really want to talk to someone. It's companionship sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. So they don't really call for sex or you yeah. know talk about that thing. But some of them, a lot of them just they get bored they just don't want to go home so early and and they just want to stuck somewhere and talk to somebody and then or just you know blaming their husband or you know talking about what they had something really sucks in in the office or whatever so yeah they can spend hours talking to me about those sort of things and and for your information because i was studying my major is psychology so of course, I love to talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was, yeah, in, in some sense, yeah, I was talking to them that at the same time, I'm practicing a lot of my counseling skills and whatever that I'm, I'm doing like a lap, lap skills, lap training and whatever. But at the same time, it really builds a lot of good relationships. Mm-hmm. And, and then I really learned a lot because, um, um, you know, people who call from, you know, from finance or iBank or people who have been very stressful overnight or sometimes husband who doesn't really want to go home because the wife is pregnant and they get very, you know, emotional and he finds it very stress- frustrated and very stressful. I still remember that, you know, the, the father call and they say, oh, yeah, you know, my wife is going, you know, my baby is coming, you know, next month and I'm really stressful because... My wife always complained that I'm not prepared and, and I don't know how to prepare, you know. And, and, she, and to be fair, he, he's not very prepared. He's he's out having, you know, a conversation on a relationship like But it's a good way for him to have the outlet. Yeah. yeah. And, or it. even to have an opportunity to to talk about yeah. what he's really feeling. I mean, he doesn't he can't really say need that to his wife. To, yeah. Yeah. Maybe so there's a lot of things that he can't really talk to somebody, but yes. he really wants to express it. 
And sometimes by expressing your feelings and your stories and your experience, and it helps you to really make sense of what you're mm. thinking. Yeah, to process it. Yeah, yeah. the process. So yeah, and to be, I'm quite proud to say that you know at that time when I was in the sex course, I was quite like a top, you know, top. Yeah, because my client loves me and then, you know, they used to talk to me all the time or sometimes they can't sleep before talking to me. I mean, mm. they call and then if, if it's not my voice, yeah. they just hang up, they call again until I was the one. Wow. wow. Yeah. And so how do you keep track? Of it? Because there must be a lot of different, I mean, it must be people with similar names. Or yeah, how do you keep track of so their stories? I have so many Andy's, so <laughs> many Michael's. And so I have like a book, like a directory. Right. So I'll mark like Andy and then when is the start date and, then and what his problems what, are uh, what is like. his job and then what kind of conversation it, it's like a client folder mm. so yeah every time that and and they call and then because sometimes you know they have you know sometimes I really don't like their sex jokes they like calling and they say guess who I am and then I was thinking who are you, who are you? <laughs> so I have to do that kind of guessing games it's cause sometimes it's really tough yeah. But um, yeah, but I think it is a good experience. I think, and because of this experience, and then um, after I stopped doing it, I didn't tell anybody for a long, long period of time uh, because I, I was kind of embarrassed mm-hmm. to explain, and um, and also I think when I started to do something like more on the social work job, and then I was more you know conservative or you know to be more careful with what I do but somehow I when I started to study my master of social work and then and then it was another you know big turn of my life again and then and then I was start studying how about you know sex equality for people with disabilities and then we've been looking at social work and there's a lot of issues we've been mentioning about welfare employment poverty and equality and a lot of things like that yeah. but I was asking one question why no one is talking about sexuality mm-hmm. and then that was a very big change on myself that I changed my track of my directions and I thinking well as a disabled person and as a social worker then I think I am in a very you know unique position to to talk about sexuality and to to raise more awareness in this area I think people yeah. don't generally talk about sexuality on the whole, and then when you you know team it with disability, you know suddenly people feel it's too much. Yeah, they don't yeah. know how to a- approach it. So, what's your sort of um, assessment? Why don't people, or why not? You know, why hasn't more been said about um, sexuality and and disability? I guess we have um, at the back of the idea is that we often think that people with disabilities have no ability to make decisions to be consent and they have no independency so usually when we talk about this i don't want to bring up too much you know academic words but what we would usually think is when we talk about sex we usually think about marriage and reproductions we're having babies so when sex can be fun yeah not in hong kong (laughs) (laughs) but we'll have to so i'm so sorry to interrupt you carmen and karen we've got a break uh, for the 2.30 news let's return uh, to this topic uh, after uh, welcome back to the one two three show with the agenda cafe uh, 
this Friday afternoon and we're talking about sexual equality for people with disabilities and we're joined by the one and the only Carmen Yao who is an advocate for sexual rights for the disabled community and also a registered social worker as well as the founder of Erotica Collection, Sugar's XXX Stories. Uh, Carmen, just before the news, uh, we were sort of talking about why isn't this topic sort of uh, discussed more and, and sorry we had to interrupt you so please continue. Well, I think, yeah, we were talking about like sex. Usually people understand it about marriage and then reproduction. So and very soon that people would consider people with disabilities, they're not capable of, of of these sort of things. And most importantly, they would really think that people with disabilities are very vulnerable. And of course, you can see a lot of newspapers and things that we usually talk most of the time about sexuality of people with disabilities are protections. So how they can protect themselves again or, you know, to avoid being sexually harassed or violenced. So you can see that, you know, sexuality for people with disabilities are usually stigmatized in a very negative way. It's a very, for, you know, among us, we would think that sexuality is something that doesn't belong to us. And it is something very dangerous for us. Mm. And we are not capable and we should not be you know, pursuing anything that related to, don't mention about sexuality, don't even touch on the topic about gender. Right. So people, I I still remember, you know, when I started to wear red lipstick, my mom was screaming in the house. Really? Really? Yeah, she was saying, I never see a woman wear red lipstick like you do. I said, oh, really? And then I was, you know, (laughs) scrolling on Facebook and and then, oh, really? You know, but, you know, she said, well, you know, that's not something a decent girl would wear. Like, yeah. Do you think it, do you think it comes from a place of of protection that your mom is just worried about you, worried about, you know, you being taken advantage of? And so she, it comes from a place of of love. Yeah, I think, yeah, in a way that we can say it is a protection, but at the same time, I think people just get too used to to the social scrape of people with disabilities that they don't really put on makeup or they don't do anything on dress or whatever. They don't think that they would put on things like that. So that's why when I put on it, it was like having a dinosaur walking along, you know, in Chimsatui, you know. So it was like... You know, it's a big shock, and I do understand. But, but from my perspective as an advocate and a social worker, I think that it's the time to let people see that these are the things that we have equal accessibility on these things as well, even underwear or even high heel shoes or whatever, that we could put on this sort of things. We would go to nightclub, we would go drinking, we would date, we would see people and we're just like everybody else. Mm. And then I think this is this gender script that I am trying to build because I do remember my professor said to me, she said, uh, he said to me, he said, well, if you want to do sexual advocacy, the first thing is really crucial is, do you find yourself sexy? Mm -hmm. If you don't find yourself sexy, you can't talk about sexuality, that you don't feel comfortable about your gender, you don't feel comfortable about your body, how you share it with someone else. And do you think there are some people with disabilities who who are not comfortable with their bodies? I mean, there's plenty of able-bodied people who don't like their bodies, and then if you have a disability, does it make it harder to, to love your own body? 
Well, it's been a very long, long journey. I, I mean, I still remember last year when I was talking in an academic, like an internet conference about this sort of topic, and then I still remember one of the audience and raised and said to me, she said, you know, it's time for women with disability to lead the world because you guys see the specific problem that not only about you it's about the majority of women also share the problem yes. well we find it very you know significant to see that how we are uncomfortable about our deviant body but actually the majority of women also consider themselves their bodies are deviant exactly most women don't like their bo- something about their bodies yes. right yeah exactly so that's why and then it clicked on my idea that i would start looking at deviant body and then and then i started to look at more different kind of social script about people with disabilities and also about bodies positivism and then it was like you know opening up a new window of the world and then that's the reason why I started uh, to do more on bodies projects and uh, and it was it's a very fun journey because I think people see me live right now you can see I'm still look like a bit chubby but you know actually I've been losing I think over six months I've been losing quite a lot of pounds and I think people really see it I think I probably lose like nearly 20 pounds really that's great yes but without doing exercise you know the fun thing is that a lot of people with wheelchair they think that they are very chubby they're overweight and then doctors will say oh you're seriously overweight but you are so disabled so you can't do exercise you can't do any workout so you can't lose your weight so yeah put on your weight and then I you come back and I'm still talking about your overweight problem mm. and then and then and then we come up with some of my advocates overseas and then we were thinking of a project say why don't we try to do something on diet and and different kind of lifestyle that really helps us to lose weight so we broke the barriers and the scheme people think that people with disabilities if they can't do exercise they can't lose weight so that's what we were doing and then that's why and then i think it was it was something fun to do i mean we are breaking the taboo and we are breaking the usual concept about people Mm. with disabilities and then and then it's a good way of presenting the how actually we can take in charge of our body shape and then at the same time how you really love your body mm. it, well to be honest i love my body right now not because that i'm losing weight but because i think it's it's fun to see how you are doing it as a project and it's like an art piece yeah. of yourself that how you are you know, embracing Embrace it and body. how to look at it. And then it takes a long journey. And then actually I started, and this six months when I started my diet project, at the same time I started to look more on fetishes and things like that. And then it was another big, long journey, interesting stories. Let's talk about that. Um, guys, I, I follow Carmen on social media and I have to say you have you have such a sexy feed and <laughs> it's really great to, to explore that because through your feed, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, these are things that, you know, all women or all, all people should be exploring and, and looking at. So what have you, what, you know, um, let's talk about fetishes, for example. I remember um, before we talked a little bit about latex fetish and there's that misconception Conception um, to, to say that people uh, with disabilities can't really wear latex suits. Um, what's your take on that? 
Well, I, as an advocate, still, I started to participate and to join in different kind of, you know, observing different kind of fetishes, how people were doing and how people with disabilities are participating. Because I was so surprised that a lot of people with disabilities actually are participating and being very active in these areas. And these are misconceptions. We think, oh, maybe yeah. they're not interested, but it's actually not true. There's a big no, community. No, they were they were actually more open and more equal, and they have more respect. And because, for example, like BDSM, they talk a lot about um, communications, respect, and concern, and safety. Yes. Yeah. So these are very crucial things that really not only for people with disabilities but it's also it's very Across crucial board, keys yeah. yeah that for you know sexual satisfactory and i've been hearing a lot of stories from people with disabilities telling me that oh yeah i have a dom or a staff who would really escort me to go to clinic for like an std checkup yeah, it's, it's really, really beautiful. Yeah. I mean, and then they share with me, the, oh, they bring me to sex toy, you know, shop, shop and yeah. to go shopping oh, together yeah. and then and we buy shoes together and, and, and make hair and, you know, whatever. You know, I think the the life and the doors are actually open. Mm. And, and, and I was like, oh, what am I doing for this past 30 years? <laughs> <laughs> do you, Carmen, do you think, I was just thinking maybe one of the reasons people are uncomfortable talking about sexu sexuality uh, related to people with disabilities is we don't, we don't know how to approach it. Like, how, yeah. how, how can I ask this question? You know, you think, uh, you read stories of someone who's, say, wheelchair bound and they, they meet somebody and the person wants to ask them, can you have sex? You know, because mm. you're like, can, is it okay to ask that question? Because right? people feel uncomfortable. Well, I think it, the most important is how you ask it. It's more out of a respective way and then how the reason or the agenda that you really ask. For example, uh, when I'm in the fetish community, people ask really direct questions because they ask direct questions to everybody. Community. I yeah. mean, that's the culture. So it's really it, it's really open and then people really feel comfortable a bit about it. And going back to Maureen's questions, there's now about latex, you know, and then I come across different kind of fetishes and then I, I talk to them and then see how people with, dis with disabilities are participating. And I found that there's one little black hole in latex that, you know, latex, the people from latex uh, group they were saying oh it's a big no-no for people with disabilities because you know latex is very tight and then it's not really stretchy and you need to put a lot of strength to put it on and you know it's really not that easy i've been you know someone tell me oh you know i i sweat a lot like two hours just to put on the first suit i can't imagine how i'm going to put on you know put it on on someone especially with you know medical or health condition that your joints are really soft or very stiff or your muscles and i don't want to he said i don't want to crack your hand i don't want to you know do any harm mm. on you so yeah it's a big no-no and then i was thinking hmm then nobody's tried yeah right. so, so and then i said okay then that's that's where's my adventures go and then i i was exploring for you know a period of time and then i just finally find someone who is willing 
yeah, who is willing to be a tour guide? Yeah. yeah, and then he came to my home and helped me to do all the measurements because you know latex have to do like Has a to tailor, suit the yeah, tailor yeah, yeah. For your so, body. Yes. so he came to my home and helped me to do the measurements, and then. And then I, I still remember my helper was, I have a domestic helper at home, and then he was thinking, what this guy's doing, you know, doing all this sort of measurement things and things like that. What dress are you making? <laughs> yeah, what kind of things are you making? And then he made the dress, he made the clothes for me, and then the socks and the, the food thing, the whole food whole set after the measurements. Wow. And then he came to my home, and then every week we were practicing. Mm. We were practicing every week, and then we were like little two hours for one bit. socks, yes. and then two hours for right. another socks, and then and then the next week we improve a lot, and then we think of different ways of position, how to pull this whole thing on, and then finally now we're proud to say we can put on the whole full gloves within fifteen minutes, and then uh-huh. things like that. And you know what? Because when I was in at the beginning, when I was in the group, they were saying that it is a big no no because it's too complicated. So, did you post your pictures there? And be like, I post the video, <laughs> it's like an education video. Like, okay, now we are going to put on the glove with a very soft hand. Well, because one of my hand here, um, I have two fingers who, which is already sleeping, it's not moving, mm. it's very soft. So I was showing the video how technically put on the glove safely mm-hmm. and then and with full instructions so that so that I would say, okay, you can't say that, you know, latex you is not it. for people with disability. Because I did it. It's just I a learning it. Within process. Within 15 minutes, though, mm. you can't say it. we can't do it. And then, and that is the way how, well, I think that's the kind of my approach or my agenda. I think what I really want to do is when you say you can't do it, then I'm going to show you. You yeah. can try, at least try to do it, right? Yeah. And you probably can do it. Well, you, you know, find the a way. thing is that when I started to put this thing on and then start more people were calling me and then uh, even girls were on wheelchair and they, they were saying, where do you get that thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think there's a lot so of... So there's an interest there. It's just because people are too shy or don't dare to, to ask about yes, it. Yes, or even, or I would say that we don't even have a picture yeah, and or in an imaginary that how people would put on something like that because they always say you need to see people like you, people like yourself doing something in order to feel like oh I can do that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the fun thing is that when I put on the latex, and a lot of people were saying, "Well, now I realize that latex really suits with the wheelchair." Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So yes, and and people think that oh, that's really hard, and that is the thing that I've been trying very hard to do with my advocate because, you know, I've been doing it for a couple of years. I've been talking a lot, a lot about equality, but it doesn't really convince people. I was going to say, do you get do people are people supportive of what you're doing, or are they saying, oh, Carmen, why are you doing this? You know, we we need to focus more on other health issues or. Well, I think that's the the funny thing is that when we were doing advocate, yeah, in the beginning we were talking about rights. We're talking about about things from the book that people should think in this way. But when we talk about sexuality, it's something not only about your brain, but it's more about your feeling. So how? So I've been thinking about it. Instead of lecturing people to talk about equal right, equal right, you know, it's really not convincing. The best way is to repackaging 
disabled body, repackaging the whole deviant body. If you think that deviant body is erotic, then I don't have to spend so much time on convincing you because you already have a feeling about people with disability. So that's the way how I change my direction when I do my advocacy. Mm. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. I think one thing that comes to mind is fetish and this whole notion of fetishization. Uh, you know, that there's that element of of worry of of people who are uh, who have a disability being taken advantage of because there are some people who who who, who may be attracted to you, but but for the wrong reasons. Or, reasons yeah. or like yeah. I would like to have sex with a girl in a wheelchair, or I would like to have sex with yeah. someone who who can't use their arms or something like that. Well. Um, well, there's actually there's a term online you can see from the fetish community. We call it the devotees. devotees. There are a group of people who are sexually aroused by deviant body, like um, amputee or people with wheelchair, or even like a disformed feet or you know, a missing arm mm. or a different kind of even visual impairment. You know, there's a lot of different fetishes and erotic script in this sort of related to disability. Yeah, there's a lot of people were giving a lot of warning like, oh, these sort of devotees actually are, you know, taking advantage or it's not really an equal relationship because of the power inequality in the relationship. But what I realized is that, you know, to be fair, that First of all, that fetish actually being stigmatized heavily mm. most of the time. And when it comes to disability, it, it becomes much more serious. And, and and it took me some time to start studying about this sort of fetishes. What do they really like about people with disabilities? And then I found that, you know, I usually talk to a lot of people with disabilities in community, even when I was in Taiwan and then I was giving a sex talk and I was talking about this, how to differentiate real disabled fetishes and those who are really taking advantage of it. And yeah, and those who mm. simply just have a preference, like maybe somebody just likes a Chinese girl over, I don't know, um, a Western girl, or or someone who prefers, I don't, I don't you know, yeah, the example go on. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of reasons. Mm. So, and then I started to share with the community. I talked to people yes. with disabilities. At the same time, I talked to the fetish community as well. And then I realized that you know, yeah, there's a group of people who would think that. Oh, I think that people with disabilities. I would prefer because I still remember one of the guy told me he said uh, I always pick I, I prefer a girl in wheelchair because she's immobile so she, he won't be hanging out night with someone else or so cheating on me that's and a then, power thing right yeah that's a power yeah. thing and you obviously know that he's not well, that's why I said this group of people, we would say he's not really like disability. Mm. They would just say, I'm okay with disability. Right. And it's advantageous yeah. to so him. It's, it's like a compromisation right. about disability. So that's not the kind of people who really likes people with disability. But I do really found a group of people who find disformity is very, very sexy. Mm -hmm. And this group of people, they have very different aesthetics idea and very, very unique sexual script and idea. And they have very different ways of thinking about disability. And and in this group of people, I think they are very beautiful. And in some sense, because one of them told me, he said, you know, 
the idea of thinking about disabilities is just like everybody is born and then you borrowed a body randomly. Like you're going to play in a tennis court that you have to borrow shoes. So it happens that you borrow a good shoes or a bad shoes. It's not your options, but you, you pay and then you get your shoes, right? So for disability, it's just like you you go and borrow a shoes and then it happens to be a bad shoes. Exactly. Mm. And you fall in love and you love the person. So you, yeah. you love the player. You don't really care about <laughs> right. the shoes, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the one who plays with you, you don't really yeah, You know what I, she means? You just want to play. Yeah, and then he said to me, he said, you know, if I have a good shoes, I have to be really good to protect my good shoes because the shoes I just borrowed from the community and I have to contribute my good shoes. That's why this guy, I, I really love him so much because he donate blood and he eat very healthy and very healthy life because I said, why you have to be so healthy? And, <laughs> and he said, well, because I need to make good blood donations, you know. And wow. then he's really cute. Oh, and, then, and, and I would say that this group of people have very unique idea. And then I, I feel very sad that they are being stigmatized. Yeah. Yeah. And I think their, their idea and their concept about disabilities should be much more promoted. And they actually educate us a lot. I still remember one of the the sex education workshop I did for a group of disabled girls. And then one of the sections, I actually invited him to talk to the girls. And it was so funny that the girls were asking a lot of interesting questions like, um, do you really think that I'm sexy? You know, like this, I'm on a wheelchair. Do you think disabled girls are really sexy? And then he was very genuine explaining. I said, well, yeah, I think, you know, all girls are sexy. Even you're not on wheelchair or on wheelchair. And even you're wearing a t-shirt, it can be sexy because it's more about attitude. It's yes, not about yeah. how you, what your body size or whatever you do. And then, and then, you know, in a way that actually what he said is much more powerful than I've been spending weeks to them. Right, because he's it's coming from him. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So I think that's the power about advocacy is that to bridging, you know, really good things that to different kind of groups. Yeah, you just mentioned that you were doing a sex education workshop. Are there enough? Is there enough sex education for people with disabilities? Like, did you have any when you were growing up, and does it cater for you? Well, as far as I remember, I don't really have proper sex education things like that. I think not many of us do. Yeah, well, we didn't. Uh, probably, <laughs> probably they just show you, you know, the the a graphic, banana. or right. you know, the graphic about your woman, and yes. you know, how and then they start, yeah, how babies are made, and then they start showing you, you know. STD pictures to scare you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that's the the kind of idea. Idea, but um, the reason why I started to do that kind of workshop is because it was one of my idea to think that you know when we talk about sex education, actually, it's not really, um, it's not tailor made to suit the disabled community and disabled culture because we have very different physical experience Um, and it takes a lot it takes some time to readapt and redesign the whole agenda and the whole um, structure of sex education for people with disabilities that really fits in their community and their experience 
And it's really important because when we talk about sexuality, we still talk about a lot heterosexual concepts. And at the same time, we put a lot of ableism ideas in it. Like boys have to be, you know, you have to be like in that position or right. in that health condition. If you if you turn on, you have to in that mode, then that will be called normal. If not, you are dysfunction. And then there's a lot of this kind of misconception. But for sex education for people with disabilities, we have to we massage these sort of questions and this sort of idea that actually no matter how to solve or what kind of, you know, arousal experience that everybody actually have very different ways. And it's really important that they feel comfortable about their responses. Yeah. Can we touch on sort of, we've got about four minutes before the news. Are there any sort of resources available for, for, for people um, in, in wheelchairs, for example, to look for positions and, and how to have fun? You know, even even when able-bodied people, they're, you know, maybe where is their resource? Where is our resources? Right. I mean, where do you find out more? Um, Underground websites. <laughs> Common social media. Yeah. Follow I, I do think of sometimes I, I do think I need to start doing a, some commercial trouble yes, for people yes. with disability. But actually the fun thing, um, that's, that's one of the ideas I've been thinking about in the future. But actually on website, if you look for sexuality for people with stroke, Mm. or old age actually yes. they do have a lot of uh, recommendations that can be also applicable for people with disabilities or in different kind actually i don't want really talk about disability i imagine a lot of people have bad knees right yes. bad, bad hips backs. and things actually you should go look up in this sort of information <laughs> You're looking at yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think it's it's like people with really diverse health conditions. So these are also very interesting, you know, things that you can look at. Actually, when I was looking at sex position for people after stroke, and then actually there's a long list that we, we can really look at. And then I, I still remember one of my ex-boyfriend, we were, you know, we were staying in the bed and we were looking at it. And we were looking, oh, okay, we were, to, yeah, <laughs> we were looking, studying things like that. And then, you know, it's really important. I mean, a lot of couples don't really spend time on conversations like this. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. people get into a pattern and then they just do the same old thing again and again and again and again and till they, they don't talk about it after a while at all. Yeah, I think for people with disabilities like I do and then I, actually we, we talk a lot and then we have to we have to have a review afterwards, afterwards and then, you know, what are the things that you like and they should like? What worked and, and what yeah. did it? That's actually uh, yeah, really like, good. Well, but you know, to be honest, these sorts of good practices, I learned it from BDSM. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so that's mm. why one of the, the things that I've been thinking maybe in the future, what I'm going to do is I'm going to to put down the good practices in BDSM and then I'll bridge it to people with disabilities. And I think that, you know, you know, even everybody can everybody. really benefit from it because I think these are really good practices that we all should learn. I think you're right. It's because it's true that BDSM is very um, communication-based, yeah. consensus-based, like 
is this okay? How far should I go? How does this feel? I don't like this or I do like this. Which You seem to know a lot about it, Karen. Well, yeah. I've been doing some interviews about it. <laughs> but it, it's true. It's very, very communication-based. Yeah, imagine that they would literally make appointments to your partners. Like, okay, are you free to this week? Which which is your best time? I mean, imagine a lot of couples don't really make appointments you know, nowadays. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of good practices that we should learn from them as well. Um, On this note, Carmen, it's been such a pleasure having you on the program. You're great. I love how open and how positive you are. It's always so uplifting to have you on the show. And we love your lipstick. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Um, For for our listeners, you can uh, re-watch this on Facebook Live, uh, Noreen Mayer on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, Carmen, have you got a website or uh, where can people find out more about you and your work? Well, if you're interested, if you go to Facebook, you search Carmen now, you can find me as well. Excellent. And Fantastic. meanwhile, thank you so much, uh, Carmen, uh, who is a social worker, a TEDx speaker, and also an advocate uh, for people with disabilities and sexual equality. And thank you very much indeed, Karen, for Thanks, your time Noreen. today. Always great to be here. And uh, we sign off.